looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Alrighty, Arn, welcome to the podcast. How are we doing today? Uh, doing great, Dante. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, looking forward to chatting with DJ and you. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time coming on today. If you don't mind just taking a few minutes for uh, to introduce yourself to our audience that may not be familiar with you. Thank you. So um, uh, name is Arn Sinadella. I've been in the real estate business since 1978. So that's a long time kind of a lifelong San Francisco Bay Area Peninsula resident. Uh, had the good fortune to start my real estate career in Menlo Park in Palo Alto, California, working in my father's residential brokerage business uh, on the San Francisco Peninsula. And that's how I got into real estate and uh, been doing it ever since. Awesome. How about today? What are you doing today with real estate? Today, uh, I'm primarily a multifamily uh, investor and syndicator. I'm now located in Greenville, South Carolina, which is midway between Charlotte and Atlanta, which, of course, are two booming markets. Greenville's doing very well. And, um, you know, I'm having fun learning the multifamily business after decades as a residential investor and enjoy helping other people, busy professionals, parents benefit from real estate investment like it's benefited myself. Uh, but maybe folks who just don't have the time, energy, or knowledge to devote to managing rental property, they understand investing in real estate is a good thing. And so folks like us help people kind of learn and understand how they can do that without having to take the reins and run the whole deal themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think that's great. And you and I, we got connected because as operators in very similar markets or some of the same markets, we really just kind of run into each other and run over each other. It's really what it comes down to. So uh, we like to network, we like to connect. That's how you and I hopped on a few calls and possibly do some deals together here in the future. So uh, I love that. Um, so you said you're doing uh, multifamily in the Carolinas. Talk to us a little bit more about that. What do you guys, well, first off, actually, how did you get into multifamily commercial? So you said you started in residential. How'd you make the switch? Sure. So over the years, I acquired a lot of single family properties, smaller two to four unit buildings. And um, after doing something for 40 years, you know, it's kind of nice to have a change. So part of it was just kind of learning a new aspect of real estate and kind of keeping that energy up and learning something new provides energy. And so I started to accumulate a few smaller multifamily properties here in the upstate of South Carolina. And um when I first moved here to Greenville, I was at the gym one day on the treadmill talking to two young guys as we're huffing and puffing away. And of course, it's like, well, what do you do? And what do you do? And so it turned out, of course, they were both in real estate. And one of the guys, Mario, was just kind of starting his real estate career. He's now done maybe eight or nine syndication deals, and we've become good friends. And so 
March 2020, middle of the month, Mario calls me up and he goes, hey, Arn, uh, what do you think COVID's going to do to rent collection? You know, it was early March that COVID was coming through and people didn't know or understand. And I told Mario, well, Mario, I don't know. Talk to me April 5th and I'll let you know how my, my rent collections went. Um, so we ended the call and um, he texted me a podcast uh, about multifamily and uh, listened to it, was kind of fascinated about it. And that just kind of set me off on a journey of consuming podcasts, boot camps, summits. Uh, and of course, having the real estate background, I was always an investor and it's residential. And so there are a lot of similarities to it. So it was a fairly easy transition to move to multifamily. But that one phone call had a big, big impact and kind of started me down that path. So it, it's interesting you say podcast and you already had a lot of the foundational elements. What was it in the podcast? There had to have been something in there that <laughs> drove you down this path. Something flipped the switch for you. What was it in there? Do you recall? Well, I don't know that it was the particular podcast, but um, I was at a point in my life where I was looking to do something different. The single family thing had been well, good, uh, did well by me. Um, but I like the multifamily thing primarily or for one reason, kind of the team aspect of working together in a team to handle bigger deals. I think the notion of multifamily in terms of providing affordable housing when we all know housing affordability is a big issue. We know there are societal changes going on to a more mobile kind of society. So I think there are a lot of re good solid reasons to be into multifamily. I think the other thing was, um, I assume most, most investors kind of have all their properties on a spreadsheet, you know, market value, loan, equity, gross rent, expenses, net income, looking at cash flow. And I kind of review it every year. And at the start of 2020, I reviewed it. And while the single family portfolio was doing well in terms of equity growth, I was really only getting about a three and a half to 4% return on the equity in those properties. And I knew I could do better on multifamily. And at the age of 67, I think uh, my focus is more on cash flow and current income versus capital growth. And so I think it was just kind of the right stage. Um, and, you know, kind of great financing. Uh, so there are a lot of reasons I moved to multifamily. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So fair. So there's, a, there's, that's certainly a lot to unpack. Uh, you had mentioned some of the team aspects. What does your team look like right now? Right now, my team is primarily me and Brian Walsh of Progressive Properties of Greenville. Uh, he's a property manager. He was a plumber by trade, so he understands the, the, the construction and the renovation. He has his own crews that do the unit turns. He's great dealing with the tenants. 
And so he was the critical piece for me because quite honestly, the day-to-day operations isn't my strong suit. It's not what I enjoy doing. Uh, I kind of like finding the properties, putting the deals together, doing the financing, the big picture. And actually, I was after Brian probably for three or four years to go into multifamily. And we looked at some properties. They weren't quite right. And when we finally found our first one that he liked and got on board with, at that point, he came on the team, we're equal partners, but he was kind of a critical piece to putting the team together. Yeah, that's actually very similar, I think, to Dante and I. Um, so you're, you're like Dante is to our team. He's out you know, working with the brokers, mainly doing the initial underwriting and so on. You're much better looking than he is, but, you know. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, know, us Italians are all good looking. So there you go. Amen to that. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So uh, anyway, so I I like, especially with a smaller firm, right? We don't have the ability to hire a whole staff of people to do all this and and so on. So I think having two people that mesh, at least with those two critical components, you know, we found certainly to, to be successful. And then we supplement with other team members. And I'd like to say high performing team members in terms of real estate attorneys. You and I talked before the call about CPA and so on and so forth. Um, so segue now into your first deals. How did you start? You made this decision to go into multifamily. How did you start hunting for properties and how did that first deal come along? Yeah, so uh, it, it's all about networking. I just started. Uh, I mean, one of the great things about real estate is you're out in the community. Well, at least pre-COVID, you know, you're out in the community, you're meeting people, you're out, you got a pulse of the, you know, the lay of the land. It's kind of fun. You talk to a lot of people. So I just started letting people know that um, I'm interested and they knew of me being in real estate, but I kind of said, hey, I'm shifting to multifamily. So this is what I'm looking for. Um just a quick story on the first 12 unit I found, I just posted in a Facebook group, said, I'm looking for multifamily. Two hours later, a wholesaler called me and he said, hey, I think I got something for you. And as luck would have it, he was sending out a text campaign to single family owners. Wholesaler got the guy on the phone hey, do you want to sell your house? The guy said, no, I don't want to sell my house. But by the way, I got 12 units I want to sell. And so that was the first deal. Um, So uh, the first more joint venture type deal. Uh, So the first syndication deal was through a contact uh, I had developed in Greenville. Uh, They want to call themselves a broker. They're more capital advisors. And I had met them maybe about 18 months ago, and I had kept in contact with them. We had lunch. Uh, They showed me a few deals, weren't quite right. And then in late February 2021, they go, hey, Arn, we've got this 43-unit deal in Greenville, South Carolina. They knew that's where I was looking. That's where they were located. Uh, price at 2.795 million. It was kind of the right level. Uh, 
went down, took a look, walked through one or two units with my buddy Brian. Uh, basically, within 48 hours, we were in contract. Um, they also handled the loan for me. So very appreciative that they gave me a crack at the property where it really wasn't on market. Right. When you uh, say they handled the loan, who's they? Uh, it would be Align Capital is the name of the company. Yep, so they're familiar both, with the group. Yeah. Yeah. So they're both debt brokers and also brokers. They do commercial, they do retail, they do multifamily, and they're located in Greenville, a uh, smaller company, but uh, uh, they brought the deal to me. I felt it was only right to let them handle the debt. Uh, never obtained an agency loan before. They did a great job for us. And uh, it was kind of a win-win transaction for both of us. What about the equity side of things? How, how did that go? How much did you have to raise? And what was your process there? Yeah, so uh, 2.795 uh, acquisition, we ended up getting 70% LTV, uh, which led the loan amount about a million nine. Uh, so down payment had to be about 900. Uh, between COVID reserves, CapEx reserves, operating reserves, we ended up raising a million five. So we probably overraised a little bit, but both Brian and I wanted to be very prudent and conservative. Uh, one, it was our first deal. Two, we're generally kind of both old school guys. And, you know, the fundamentals of real estate use leverage properly, have proper capital reserves. And if you go into a deal like that, there's going to be some up and down, but you're going to be okay. Uh, so we raised a million five, and that was um, primarily from our pre-existing network of real estate clients and friends. So both from our social and professional circles. Uh, I think we ended up having 30 investors. Raised was a million five, so that's 50,000 an investor. Um, we actually did it on a 506B basis, $25,000 minimum. And about, I would say, 20 of our investors were 25,000 minimum. And then we had two or three that put in two or 300, including Brian and I. We invest significant capital in our own deals uh, because we believe in them. And I think it's an important part to have the operator have some of their own cash in the deal. Yeah, definitely. Skin of the game is definitely important. And aren't something you touched on is you believe you overraised. That that's usually not an issue. It's usually the other way. People aren't able to raise enough. So being able to overraise is good. Having uh, a a overfunded reserve account is never usually an issue. Um, sometimes we get into this. Well, it kind of may dilute returns if we have too many investors, but not if you have enough and you're returning it back to the investors over certain distribution periods. So I definitely think that's good that you guys did something like that. Yeah. And, and, and so my investing philosophy has always been aim to hit line drive base hits. Okay. If you hit line drive base hits over time, you're going to be fine. Uh, I was never one to swing for the fences, swing for a grand slam. So you know, if you raise an extra hundred thousand and it drops the IRR three tenths of a percent, 
in my mind, who the heck cares? It's nice knowing you have that money there if and when you need it. And as operators, and you guys know too, we feel a big responsibility towards our investors. And the one no-no would be ever having to go back and ask them for capital. Right. right? Capital if yeah. you have to do that, you're pretty much out of the game. So uh, that's our approach. We actually closed while they still had COVID reserves. So come June of this year, June of 2022, we'll attempt to get that money back. Uh, it's about 108000 And if we do that, then we may distribute some of that capital back to the investors early. And this, this deal... A 2006 build, uh, separately metered utilities, um, but it's more uh, affordable housing projects, single story units, vinyl siding. Um, so I would consider it kind of a light value add, um, cosmetic interior uh, upgrades. And the units were already built with washer dryer hookups, uh, but the prior owner wasn't providing stack washer dryer units. So a big win for us has just been paying for those and the tenants are happy to now have their own washer dryer. Um, so it was a fairly direct path to kind of add some value. Yeah. And something I want to touch on real quick is that COVID reserve you mentioned. So for those that are unaware of what that COVID reserve was, it was really uh, during COVID when things were kind of a little shaky and lenders, agency lenders in particular, didn't really understand what was going on or they didn't really know what the future was. They actually collected in escrow uh, an account of principal and interest. Aren't, was it uh, six months or 12 months? We got hit with 12 months. Okay. So it, it did vary by deal, but it just <laughs> yes. depends. Yes. I mean, it was your guy's first deal. So in the yes. agency's eyes, it was probably, okay, these operators may be a little less experienced. Let's collect the full bunch. During that time when we were underwriting, I would underwrite collecting the full 12 months and then returning 50% of it back to investors the following year. So that way we can hold on to 50% if need be. Uh, who knows where we we're going to be at in the market or what was going on. So we had that capital on hand. Uh, for our recent closing, our one in Concord, we actually got the green light about three weeks before closing, maybe two weeks that the COVID reserve was waived. So automatically, here we are thinking we needed to raise 1.2. We were able to drop that number down to about 1.1 and change. And that was huge because now we're not raising as much. It does help out the returns a little bit more. And uh, we already had all the capital raised. So we had this surplus of funds for right. the still, still plenty of cash, like you had said. Correct. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, it's nice being able to tell investors, well, we don't need all of what you want to invest, right? Uh, because uh, a lot for me, a, a lot of my people are kind of first-time passive investors, first-time syndication investors. And so, uh, at least for me, I think it's important to provide opportunities to, for people uh, to experiment and, and test the waters with passive investing, right? And it's a big decision. And so if you can provide opportunities for people to invest 25 or 50,000, kind of get their feet wet, uh, 
you're providing a service to your investors and giving them a chance to actually experience it for themselves and decide whether they like it or not. So uh, I think it's important to try to get as many people in the deal as you can, even though it's a little more work, the number of investors go up. For us, we wanted to kind of uh, present the opportunity to as many people as possible. Yeah, that's an interesting approach because there's a there's a balance there between uh, the number of investors that you have to manage, and and I like that explanation because people they pushed us uh, towards the fifty thousand dollar minimum for all those reasons of uh, you know not having to manage as many people and so on and so forth, and and it was manageable and we were successful, but I, I like the thought process of hey I can get more people to dip their toes in the water. And try this out if I do the the twenty five thousand dollar minimum. Yeah. So what about? I'm sorry, you had a comment no, there. No, well, I was just going to say uh, we're not approaching this as a one and done thing, right? You know, right? We want to build a good investor base because to the degree we have confidence in our investor base allows us to go into the market with more confidence, pursue more deals. And of course, as we land more deals and close them, we build credibility in the broker community, which yep. then just increases our chances to bring down more good property. Right, right. right. So it, it, the experience piece, you, you and your partner both knew, how did you check the experience box with regard to securing the loan? Uh, we brought in a, a mentor of mine as KP. Okay. So 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 we we had we met the net worth uh, net worth requirement, but we didn't have the agency debt. And uh, again, just as Donnie described, how him and I met on social media, uh, my KP and I met uh, through social media. Uh, I approached him originally as an LP, maybe wanting to invest in some of his deals. We developed a friendship. I kind of joined his, his short-term mentoring program. We developed a friendship and uh, he's now KP'd on the second deal. And basically he likes the way Brian and I operate and he's happy to KP on any deal we have. And uh, that, that, that's another part of the team, right? You need that, you need your lender. Uh, so that's all, all part of it. And um Finding a syndication attorney, I went with a very well-known guy out of Texas. He wasn't the least expensive, but I just wanted somebody that I knew I could trust to get the documents done properly and kind of take that off my plate, right? So uh, oftentimes the least expensive isn't the best. You want to get a first-rate team together and in my mind, it's more important to get it right than save a few dollars because ultimately at the end of the day, it's not going to matter. Yeah. It, it, you know, you get what you pay for is really what it comes down to our real estate <laughs> attorney. He, you know, we knew he wasn't a cheap individual, but he was part of the multi national multifamily housing uh, association board or whatever. Yeah. Nice long title there. And uh, also our KP, kind of a similar story. You know, we found someone that we thought as a person genuinely was a good person. They had good knowledge in the space and investing with them as an LP on their deal, just to kind of build that relationship. And I don't want to say it's a, it's a free mentorship, but a friendship has turned into a business relationship where everyone's benefiting. 
you know, he's able to do deals. We're able to invest with him. We're able to get returns and he's able to sign our loans. Unfortunately, we ran into a little issue, you know, without getting too big into the weeds where we couldn't have this individual on our deal because of something that came up that is now gone. So we pivoted and moved through to another KP individual that we were able to use on this loan type. We still have that relationship with that other individual and he's able to sign on our loans now. So now we have multiple options for those KPs and I'm sure we have other options we can go to. So that's important as well. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. So I borrowed a lot of money in my day buying houses and so on and so forth. And coming from the Bay Area, the, the loan amounts on those deals on my residential deals were fairly big. I can just tell our listeners that when you move to the multifamily space, it's like a whole new world trying to get this loan. And one of the learning parts is the, that the ultimate loan terms are kind of a moving target, right? You kind of don't know exactly where you're going to be until about 10 days from close, which is much different on residential. You go in, hey, I want to refinance my house. The guy says, okay, it's three and a half, 30 year fixed at one point, and you're done. And 30 days later, that's what you get. With the multifamily, it's much more complicated. They keep checking the rent roll, the loan amount moves by that. So uh, you have to be able to pivot. And I think the other thing, like our SEC attorney we chose, New Freddie Mac's attorney, right? And so, yeah. so you, you know, that just makes a difference because the Freddie Mac attorney knows this guy and he goes, okay, I know this guy knows what he's doing. And our SEC attorney knows the Freddie Mac attorney. It just helps make the whole process go smoother. And again, it's all down to these personal relationships. Yeah, I mean, DJ, our attorney knew the Freddie Mac attorney as well. Is that correct? Or who who had the relationship there that yeah. made it smooth? Yeah, pretty much all of them knew each other. So uh, we, we got into some some tense moments, and those relationships definitely help, uh, especially if they like each other. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think, and as you say, uh, we're, you know, we're trying to create situations where everyone benefits. Uh, lenders want to make the loan. SEC attorneys want to close deals. Investors want to invest. And so you just kind of work together and, and everybody can benefit, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah and, so, sorry, go ahead, Dante. Yeah. So just touching on Arn, what you were saying, where with multifamily loans, it's very different than residential. And you don't, the, the terms are kind of fluctuating until 10 days before closing. It's very true because the lender is constantly asking for an updated T12, an updated rent roll. What's the occupancy as it? Is it 90% or greater? Where's the NOI? So we can see what the uh, debt service coverage ratio is. And we initially submitted to Freddie through their SBL, their small balance loan program. And I believe we were shooting for 69% LTV and a rate of like five point, or excuse me, whoo, no, mm-hmm. uh, 3.55%. And about 10 days prior to closing, they called us and said, hey, this property is uh, progressively doing better and it's a very strong property. So we're going to increase your loan to value from that 69 you uh, submitted at to just shy of 73% loan to value. So we got a decent bump there. And then they also said, we're going to change your rate uh, to 3.49%. So uh, showing how strong the property is. Yes, it matters how strong we are, but the, the lenders are really going to look at the property, the asset itself, 
And because of all that, we were able to get slightly better terms prior to closing. It's always a good call. Right. To have. But Arne, it, part of that is what yeah. you said. It was because we had some favorable collections reports coming down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the other part of it, and I actually kind of like puzzles and jigsaw and I'm kind of mathematical. The other cool thing doing with the agency debt, you have all of these levers you're pulling, right? Five years, seven year, 10 year, how many years of interest only? Yield maintenance, step down. And so all of those impact the rate. They impact the debt coverage ratio, which ultimately impacts the loan amount. So for me, I found it to really be a fascinating process. Uh, and for me, I kind of enjoy trying to figure out what was most important to us. For us, one thing we wanted to avoid was yield maintenance. So we paid a little higher rate to get the step down. And it's fun explaining to investors well, why did you make that decision? And when you explain it to them, they go, yeah, it makes sense and go from there. So uh, the whole process was quite uh, educational and it came to a, a positive conclusion like yours have too. Yeah, Arne, the more we talk, the more similar we all are in our aspects. <laughs> so like you were saying, you know, with your loan, pulling those levers, we describe it the same way. You're looking at your rate, your interest only, your term, even your market has to depend on it and your yield yes. maintenance, or your step down. And uh, that's something that we elected as well as our last deal here was to move away from yield maintenance and go with that step down. Not an accelerated step down, but uh, just the normal step down program. So our rate could be a little bit stronger. So using all those fundamentals. And again, the market, depending on it, is going to uh, move the needle for you. And so it just, it goes to show how much is behind all of this and why passive investors are passive investors, because they don't want to have to do all this work, go through all this and understand some of the terms we're talking about that they might really not understand is what it comes down to. Yeah. We, we've all seen plenty of deals uh, recently that are assumption deals with yield maintenance and they're pretty much impossible to put together. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it, you know, sounds like you guys understood it out of the gate and made the right decision. So yeah, you do that by talking to people. Yeah. This is one of my favorite things about the podcast is as we bring guests on like yourself uh, through this process, we get to know each other better. And it's not just during the process. It's, it's before, it's after. Uh, we do a little bit of planning. We've developed some great relationships out of that. So while we may be competing against each other, uh, offering, you know, putting in offers on on the same property in places. We actually all... did, but I still love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dante, Dante filled me in there. And I was kind of leading into that. But, but the other aspect of it is too, it's like, you know, if somebody you're competing against gets the property and a good person like Arn and his partner get it, you know, Dante and I are, you know, the mindset of congratulations, right? And, and oh, by the way, you know, there might be a deal that comes along next where we say, geez, you know, Ron's got a couple of years of experience under his belt. We do. Maybe we don't need the KP, but we can combine our equity resources and take a property down and, or you know, Go ahead. Yeah. Going after the same property. Why the heck are we bidding this thing up? Why don't we just partner up and take it at a lower number? You know, instead of getting this thing up to 2.6, 2.7 or something, yeah. why don't we just take it down to 2.4 and call it a day? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and so, sorry, sorry about that one, Ron. No, it's okay. Or Arn. It's, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's all right. You know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, but what I would tell your listeners and your investors is we really like that property and we thought it was pretty good. So I think that that's a winner. Um, and, and, and so in any case, uh, congrats to you and yeah, maybe down the road, we could partner on something bigger. I think we all like to do, uh, bigger deals. Uh, there's some reason for the economies of scale that kind of kick in as you get larger deals. Uh, so, uh, we can be partners and competitors at the same time. No doubt about it, and really appreciate the the vote of confidence with the property. We we think it's it's solid. So for those that are listening, that's our property up in Concord, Allison Heights. Uh, so we're really excited about it, and really excited for the investors that are in on that deal. Um, it's always about putting them first, and frequently when I talk to our investors, you know, we always talk about what motivates us, and one of the things that motivates me is not letting other people down. And I I think it's probably, you know, I don't say this from a self-serving standpoint, it's just how I'm wired. But if you invest with us, then you'll know that I'm working hard for you because the last thing I want to do, like you're saying, capital call, bad news, whatever it is, we didn't meet plan. It's the last phone call I want to make. Yep. And and the other thing listeners should know and, and passive investors is the 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 GP compensation in large part is based on our performance. And that's rightfully as it is, which is a little different than a stockbroker and I don't bash stock brokers, but most of our compensation is on the back end and is a function of how much value we added to that property and how much profit and equity gain is in that deal. So, we are motivated to maximize those returns. And, uh, you know, I'm not Mother Teresa. I call it enlightened self-interest. So I think what that means is you go about in life conducting yourself with integrity and character. You want to do well for yourself and your family, but you also want to do well for others. And a, a lot of times what I say is doing the right thing often proves to be good business too. And and that's kind of approach you have to take with tenants. You do the right thing by those tenants. You take care of their properties. You take care of their homes. They're going to happily pay rent. They're going to happily even pay an increased rent. And they're then going to be your advocates to get their buddy to move in the next time you have a vacancy. So uh, do the right thing by the tenants. It's going to end up being better for the property. It's going to end up being better for your investors. And so you can do things the right way and, and, and actually you benefit better by doing it that way. Yeah, that's good. And Arn, when we were talking, you discussed how you, uh, you took down that 43 unit, then you took down a 30 unit. And along the way, you also were co-GP on a few deals. Uh, talk to us about the thought process of co-GPing with some other experienced investors. How's that experience what is your role um, and how does that help everyone out? Yeah. So, um, you know, what my experience is when we closed the first deal in Greenville, May of 2021, uh, 
it wasn't more than about two months where our investors were saying, hey, you got something else for us. When can we invest again in this and that? And so, um, you know, my little group, Spark Investment Group, the truth is we're maybe only going to be able to do two, three, four deals a year. And that's perfectly fine with me. I, you know, I don't have any visions of building this major company in the syndication space. That, that, that's not where I'm at. Uh, but the thing is, if I'm only doing two or three deals, four deals a year, I have investors who want to invest in more deals and so one way of providing more investment opportunities to your investors is to partner with other operators um, uh, and being and thereby being able to present those possible opportunities to your investor database. And, and people should understand on every deal that I've ever been a co-GP on, I've invested my own capital, right? And so number one, it's kind of like, I have to put my own money where my mouth is, right? So if I'm recommending an investment or an operator, uh, I can most concretely de uh, demonstrate that by investing my own capital in the deal. So the, the, the operators that I co-GP for are people who I've known over a period of time, often had invested with them as LPs previously. So I kind of get an idea of how they operate and what they do. And so I have turned down requests to be co-GP because I didn't like the deal or I didn't like the operator. So there's a, a selection process there. And again, uh, we're doing this every day. We're talking to people every day. We're looking and evaluating properties every day. And so to expect somebody who has a demanding W-2 corporate job to kind of have that same level of knowledge, it's just not really feasible, right? I'm not going to be a software architect, right? And I wouldn't try. I paid somebody to design my website because I don't want to take the time and I'm not very good at it. So as a co-GP, you can vet these operators, evaluate the deal, most times you put up earnest money deposit. Most times you're on site for due diligence. So you can really talk about the investment from a firsthand point of view. And so I think that's another service we can provide the investors. So I enjoy being KP. Honestly, I kind of have control issues. So I prefer to be the lead GP, but I'm happy to also be a co-GP. I'm in the same seat as you, that, that control issue. So uh, getting a partner, I had to like remove a piece of me to trust someone else to do, you know, part of the job. And I'm very happy I have done that. It takes a yes, big burden and, off my shoulders. And, and it, 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 that, that's very interesting. Uh, when someone has proven their ability, character, and integrity to you, or to me, well, I'll speak for myself, for me, and I see what they do, I can recognize they do it better than I, and then I'm happy to give up that part of it. I'm happy Brian is dealing with the tenants and the renovations and the renovations crew. So I'm happy to offload that to him. 
but it's only because I trust him implicitly to do the right thing and do a good job. So there has to be that element of proof and trust, and then you can kind of let go of control. Um, I did a lot of self-managing of all my little rental houses. And again, maybe it's partly ego or whatever, but I had wished I had turned over all my rentals five years ago to Brian, and I only started turning them over maybe two years ago. And now life's so much better. I get an ACH deposit and it's great. I love seeing those pop up in my account. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Um, well, let's head over to the next section of our show. DJ, did you have anything else for Arn before we go to the next segment? No, it's, it's really great stuff. Uh, well, I, I will say this one last thing. The stuff that Arn said and lives and walks out about integrity and excellence uh, for anybody out there that's a passive investor, that's the first thing you look for in a sponsor. The first thing you have to be able to trust the sponsor to manage things with integrity, to do the right thing, to make the right decisions on your behalf, and basically to treat your money as if it's your own. Critical. Right, right. You're, you're looking so num- at the number sponsor one criteria. First, more, the yeah, more important than the numbers. Yeah, and and the other thing I would just add, and then we can move on is. Uh, and I talked to this with my investors and other uh, people in the industry. Um, what ultimately happens with an investment five years from now, many of those factors are outside our control, right? We can't control the world economy. We can't tr- control the U.S. economy. We can't in- control what happens to interest rates or cap rates, The only thing we can really control after acquisition is to operate that property professionally, right? And so in my mind, as long as we operate any particular asset in a professional manner, we have met our obligations to our investors because the returns, the actual ultimate returns are determined by many factors outside our control, right? So we have no control about what cap rates are gonna be in five years, but we can control how we operate the property. And if we operate it professionally, it's gonna be a successful investment. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's great. Well, let's head over to our next section of the show called the Curious Cues. Arn, we throw these questions at all of our guests and get your answer. Are you ready? Oh, I don't know. Go ahead. Fire They're away. Easy. I, I promise these are easy ones. Please. Uh, first question we have is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Uh, honestly, my favorite one is Whitney Sewell syndication uh, school, I think. No, yeah. it would be the syndication show. So Whitney does a great job. Uh, so that's one of my favorite. There are plenty of good ones, but that's probably my favorite. I don't know how him and Joe Fairless do it, a daily podcast. I, I struggle with a weekly podcast, keeping up, and they have episodes out every day. That's that's dedication. That's huge. Yes. And it's a great show as well. Yeah. Uh, favorite book you enjoy reading? doesn't have to be real estate related, but it can be. Um, I've had some... Uh, uh, I've had a, a personal tragedy, a family tragedy. So um, I'm now kind of reading in books about grief. I don't have a particular one. I'm kind of going through them. So uh, that's where I'm at now in terms of my reading and just trying to deal with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? 
And I know you've been uh, doing it for a while. You said 1978. Yeah, so there's got to be some in there. Yeah, that that's a good question. So I think probably the biggest hurdle is a shift of mindset from worrying about trying to sell somebody something and not wanting to be a pushy salesman uh, to offering them an opportunity. And so I think when you're in kind of sales and, you know, a lot of what we do is sales, I think to the degree you can think about it as offering opportunity and then kind of divorcing yourself and not taking it personally if somebody says no, right? It's not about you. It's not a statement about you. It's just where they're at or the particular deal. So I think as we can overcome that, it, it, it's better. So I'd say that was kind of the biggest hurdle for me, uh, thinking in terms of offering opportunities and not taking a no personally. Yeah. And I think, like you said, offering them an opportunity, you're not trying to sell them something. You're not trying to take money from someone. You're offering them a great opportunity to, uh, I won't even get into all of it, but investing in a real asset that has so many benefits to it. So that's good. I'm favorite non-real estate related hobby. What do you like doing in your free time? Uh, well, I'll give you two fitness and golf. So I spend a lot of my day, uh, being active down at the rec center and I spend a fair amount of time playing golf. So, uh, uh, started golfing when I was eight years old, I'm now 67. So I've almost played for 60 years. So it's a real wow. passion of mine. Yeah. Right, what's the handicap? Uh, right now I'm about a 10.2. So nice. I'm okay. Uh, in the winter, it goes up in the summer. I get down to about seven or eight, but, uh, yeah in the winter, it gets a little bit tougher. So I'm okay. I'm a, a little more than a hacker, but I'm not super good. <laughs> well, well, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's better than DJ and I can do. I can assure you that we we're actually yeah. talking about golfing like last week. Yeah. So that's funny. It, it's I, a great game because a lot of it is kind of mental. Uh, and then you're just outside and you're walking or riding, but we, we try to walk and you're with your buds. Yep. And it's just a great environment. So it's, it, it, it's a great activity. Yeah. I love it. And newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started, whether that's in real estate as a whole or in the multifamily slash syndication space? Well, I would say first start to get yourself educated, start to learn about it, which will also be part of networking. Um, so I think education is probably the first place I would start. Um, and it doesn't have to be costly. Podcasts like yours pr produce a lot of information. I learned a lot on podcasts. Then from there, I think you join networking groups, uh, attend summits, attend meetups. Uh, and you'll find people that you resonate with and, and the other thing I would say is I think you learn best by doing. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, there there's you could you know. You, you can learn a lot by reading and Googling and this and that, but I think you learn best or at least I learn best by actually doing so. I would say after a period of education. 
Find one or two people you trust and give it a try because sometimes fear kind of stops people from the unknown. And I just think you got to kind of overcome that. Give it a try. Don't put all your chips in on your first deal. Give it a try and just get in the game. And, and that's sort of what I did. I mean, I started with four units and 12 units. And trust me, I might have been a little bit nervous on each and every one of them. Then the first syndication deal, 43 units. Trust me, there were times we were nervous, but we learned so much. The second deal, it, it, it you know, we took that knowledge we learned from the first one. And so I think you just kind of got to get in the game and that will really ratchet up your knowledge and education and set the stage for further growth. Yeah, I, I completely agree, especially that, you know, that learning, that education stage. I remember when DJ and I first started, we had like our own little book club. You know, we got every book we could. Okay, read chapter five through eight tonight, and then let's discuss our findings and kind of highlight what really stood out to you. And I, even as much as we, you know, we had flashcards with every single term on each flashcard, and we just kind of quizzed each other, uh, you know, well over, this was years ago now, what seems like. And mm -hmm. uh we we're just saying, you know, when we talk to these brokers, we got to speak the lingo, we got to know the language. And so now today that we, we've done deals and we've talked to brokers and we've taken all the action, we've actually done projects. It, it's all second nature to me, to us. You know, we can talk, I talk with investors, or I talk with other operators and it sounds like we're speaking another language, but that's because we've taken the time to educate ourselves. And, you know, I met with an investor and he wanted to take an active role. And after talking to me for a half hour to an hour, he was just like, I don't understand half the stuff he said. I don't want to be an active operator. You know, I'll just invest passively, you know, and that's what it comes down to. Some people don't want to get educated in that. So that's huge. And there's a reason for specialization of labor, right? Like if I'm a whiz software architect and I can make really good money doing that, let me focus on what produces the highest return for my ability uh, and honestly, managing property is not that much fun. Okay. So, uh, trust me, not having to do that's a real, a real big plus in my, uh, my, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Well, Arn, this has been awesome. Where can someone get in contact with you if they want to uh, just touch base with you, learn more about you or invest with you? Uh, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, the name of the company is Spark Investment Group. Website is investwithspark.com. My email is arn, A-R-N, at investwithspark.com. So uh, happy to talk uh, and, and help you figure out, help people figure out what they want to do in real estate. It's always fun. So uh, uh, it's always a pleasure. No, no two days are alike in this business. So with that, Arn, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you coming on and we'll uh, hopefully we'll, we might do a deal together soon. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you guys. Thanks, Arn. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.